we are one of those works. That we have incredible value, whether we know it or not, whether we're down on ourselves or not, whether we hate others or not, we know, regardless of that, we have incredible value because you made us. And we're in your image. We reflect you. And so I pray that today as we, as we stop and consider again the national tragedy, our holocaust of taking human life in the womb, that you would move us. That we never be silent. That we would be cut to the heart. That we would be prayerful and doing whatever we can to stand for life. Father, I pray our time in your word today would uh, move us to those ends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was thinking about why we do, uh, why we commemorate National Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I think it's one of those things that's so important for us. And if someone said, "Well, it's a very political thing," and, and if you've looked at some of the marches that have gone on this last week, um, one one of the things you'll see on signs is is things that relate to the abortion argument. You've probably seen that on the news, and I think it's so important that we commemorate this. Because we don't want to look away. We don't want to be the church that closes our eyes to this. We never want to let our kids think, this is normal. Killing the unborn is, is, you're right. We we don't want our kids to grow up thinking this. We don't want to ever get in the mindset of it's just just everyday life and death. And so we want to stop and, and, and remember and, and talk about why this is such an issue. So I want to take you to the book of James, chapter 4. If you'd open your Bibles to James 4, you should have one in front of you if you need to uh, grab a Bible. I'm reading out of ESV, you might be reading out of NIV or something else. And we'll read 1 through 5. It says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You, do, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. And I just want to make sure I, I read that first part of verse 6 because it, it's not going to be lost to me that I'm sure there are some in this room that have had an abortion. I mean, I, that probably is true. And so I want to say verse 6, He gives more grace. So I want to, 
I want to speak graciously, but I want to speak boldly. I want to speak about an issue we have to talk about as a church. He gives more grace. And I pray He'll give you grace today as well. Um, I love how James starts, because I feel like it's like a parent, you know. Um, verse 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I mean, you've, you've probably been there a few times as a parent. Um, who started this, right? You've, you've said that, you know. Or if you didn't say it, you know, you, you say, what's going on here? And, and, and your kid says, he started it. She did it. And, and, I, and I love that, that James kind of goes into it like this. What causes fights and quarrels and even murder? Who started it? Where did this come from? What's happening? And as we consider that question, who started it? What's going on? You'll notice that he quickly goes from verse 1 to saying quarrels and fights. And then you get into verse 2 and he says you desire and don't have, so you murder. And so my question is what causes fights, quarrels, and even murder? The, The war analogy he gives here is what's causing these desires that are battling within you. These things are fighting inside of you. What's going on? What would cause a person to murder? Now, some, I think this is a very appropriate text when we consider abortion in the United States. Um, at the same time, there are some that say, well, how can, he, how can we know for sure he's actually talking about murder, murder? You know, because, you know, Jesus talked about murder. He said, if you, if you hate somebody, it's like you've killed them. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we know James wasn't just thinking, you know, I hate you, I'm fighting with you, and it's like I'm murdering you. How do we know we can really use that and talk about murder? And I think one answer is, and it's really simple, he uses the word murder. But, but beyond that, how do we know James could have had in his mind actual, the actual taking of human life? <clears throat> and I would answer that in a couple different ways. One, I would say Saul, who later became Paul. You know his story, right? He, he is a Pharisee, a legalistic Pharisee, and there's these Christians sharing the good news about Jesus. And what does he want to do? He wants to imprison them and he wants to kill them. He's standing there approving of the people stoning Stephen. So he was approving murder for a religious cause. So, so I would say murder could definitely be on the mind of James as he writes this. Because fighting and quarreling ultimately can lead to murder. It does happen. And we know this. Um, the other thing I would point out is under Roman occupation, you had this group of people called zealots, and they hate the Romans. They, they wish the Romans would die. And, and <clears throat> then you might see murder, again, for a religious cause. I hate you. I want what you have. Why do you get to be rich and I'm not? Why do you get to occupy Israel? That's not right. I'm going to kill you. Murder. So I think you can make a good argument that when James uses the word murder, he does mean murder. That ultimately, when I want something, when you have something, when I'm fighting with you, when I hate you, it can lead to that act. And that's what we call abortion. We call it what it is. We call it murder. The murdering of the unborn. What causes it? What is going on according to James, that would lead us to this. I want to give you uh, the biblical answer, two reasons for murder in this section that James gives us. 
Uh, the first one is inner passions. Inner passions. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You, so what, what's going on here? These, these passions are battling inside of us. They're fighting inside of us. And because of this fight, we end up taking life. What does he mean? And again, I think the war analogy is so appropriate. They're, they're battling. They're fighting. And in a war, somebody's got to die. But what happens when there's a war inside you? When the war rages on there? In the soon-to-be mother or father? What happens when the war rages there? What, what, what about these passions? What are these, what are these things about these desires? I want to talk about a few things I think we could, I think we could say are desires when it comes to the act of taking life. A, there's a desire for material resources. At some point you've surely heard it said, how will I take care of of this baby. And that person is saying, and it should arouse all of our compassion when we hear that kind of a statement to say, what can we do you know, as a church? But, but, but setting that aside for a second, it's the desire for material resources. How will I take care of this child? What does this mean for my wealth? What does this mean for um, what I have? Because I look around and I see people doing well. I see people making money. And, 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 and children cost money. And that's just the way it is. You've got to take care of your family. There's going to be material resources that have to be given. And, and again, I'm sure that's exactly what the zealot thinks of Rome. You know, Why did they get to be rich? Why did they get to rule over God's people, Israel? I want what they've got. And if I have to take it, if I have to kill, I will. B, there's a desire for control over life. I want, I want to control my own life. And so certainly you've heard it said, what's going to happen in the future? I had a plan to go to college. or I had a plan to uh, uh, establish a career before I had children. I got married. I wanted to have my career. And now there's a child on the way. I want to have more control over my life. And God would say, you never had it to begin with. I always had control over your life. All you have to do is jump down to uh, chapter 4. You're in chapter 4 already, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this and such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So the idea is, there's these guys in James' church, and, they're, and they're, I guess they're kind of probably like businessmen. And they're like, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to make money, and they're kind of bragging about it, they're kind of boasting about it, and James says, you don't know, you could be bankrupt tomorrow. You could be dead tomorrow. You're, not, you're only guaranteed this moment right now that you have. You're not guaranteed Monday. And so for those that say, there's a child on the way and it's messing up my life plans, uh, the, the, these arrangements that I've made, the college I'm going to go to, the career I'm going to establish, God says, you never had that much control to begin with. You really didn't. 
that control always belonged to him. Don't talk like that. And I'm not saying it's bad to make plans. We all need to make plans. Plans are a good thing. But we, but we keep them in an open palm saying, God, you're the master planner. All these things are in your hands. I don't really have as much control over my life as I think I do. So I submit to him. Um, it could be C, the desire for sex without consequences. I mean, what is, what's the word used here? These are passions that are at war within us. They are passions. And so, so I've got to be careful when I say this because uh, you, you shouldn't leak consequences with like, sometimes consequences sound really negative, like that's negative, and so that means the baby's negative. And, and that's not negative. I mean, a, a new life is a gift. It's a blessing. We, we, we would never say that, and we shouldn't say that. And, and so if you're talking to somebody that, that, that's pregnant and scared and, and, and maybe they're not married and, and you come off like that baby is a problem, no, it's not. It's a blessing. It may have come out of immorality, but the baby's a blessing. And we can't talk differently about that. So I want to make sure when I say consequences, I'm trying to get at this general idea that, that we want to do what we want to do, and we want to do it without the consequences that come with it. So we can say, God designed this gift of intimacy to lead to children. Only we want the pleasure, we don't want the children. We don't want the consequences that come with it. Again, I would say consequences in a good sense. Because we're not ready for that. So, so we want it without it. And, and, if we, and if we didn't do this right, and there's a baby on the way, we've got to do something about that. There's a desire to do what we're going to do and not deal with the results of it. These are our passions, and they are at war within us. Ultimately, And I hope that you hear me saying this graciously. I believe this is a desire for happiness. I mean, all of these things, if you're talking to somebody and they're considering having an abortion, I hope that you could get at this underlying thing where we really just want to be happy. Why do I want to... Why, do I, why have I thought about my future and establishing a career? Because I want to be happy. Why have I thought about wealth and material resources? Because I want to be happy. That, that's what's really at the heart of this. The question is, how do I go about getting to that happiness? And that's where Christians, that's where the church can come in and say, we got the market cornered on that because we've got this thing called joy. And submitting to God's ways will bring the highest joy in your life. It, it, it won't be by you taking life. That won't actually bring you the happiness you want. We can say these things. And we can say it compassionately, knowing that that person wants exactly the same thing we want. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want even joy in the Lord? How do we go about doing that? Well, we obey Him. We follow His commands. This is what we do. Uh, what's the? I, I think with this first reason and, and the second reason as well, there is a spiritual problem here uh, underneath this. And, and if we could summarize the spiritual problem like James does, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So the spiritual problem is God wasn't consulted. God wasn't asked. You didn't go to God and say, God, I, 
I need to I need to make some plans for my life. I need to go to college. I need to figure this out. You didn't go to God and say, uh, God, I want to I want to do life according to your ways. You know, and James says when you do ask God for things, he doesn't give it to you. Because you just spend it on your passions. You wouldn't even ask in the right way. It'd be uh, totally self-centered. But you can go to God in it with a submissive spirit and say, God, you know what I want. You, you know what I'm trying to get in life. Would you help me do it your way? You didn't even bother to ask God. Now, interesting uh, that in James 1, he talks about Asking God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom and He will give it. You cannot doubt though, but you can ask God for wisdom and He will definitely give it to you. You think about that. When it comes to my inner passions, these desires that rage within me, have I asked God for His wisdom? Have I sought Him out? Or am I just doing this my way? Um, secondly, the second reason why we would go so far as to kill is friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. Um, this is the way James says it. I'll read it to you again. Uh, verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friendship with the world means I am thinking like the world, I'm acting like the world, I'm demanding the rights that the world demands. You know, that is friendship with the world. What does God say about the way the world thinks? Well, if you want to jump back over to chapter 3, it might be on the same page that you're on now. Chapter 3, verse 13. Actually, how about... uh, 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What is the wisdom of the world that says you have the right to your body to such an extent that you can kill the body living within you? What is that wisdom? And and James would say it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And we know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That, that's what he does. He is, beyond, he is behind movements that are anti-life. He's behind those things. That's what demons love. You remember the, remember the demon-possessed guy that was living in the tombs? He's cutting himself. I mean, there, there's a self-hatred there. There's a self-destructiveness there. Demons hate life. They hate life. I've often wondered, who, who inspires horror movies that feature the destruction of the body? And you've got to wonder, where does that inspiration, that, that dark inspiration come from? Demons hate life. And so you think about all of the earthly wisdom that goes into defending this unjust law. And we would say that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The other, the other thing I would, I would say is, um, and maybe you've heard this. This is not going to be in the notes, but if you want to write it down, there's an excellent acronym that kind of goes with this. It kind of unravels some of the uh, really illogical 
wisdom that gets put out there. Um, and it's acronym SLED. Have you heard this? SLED, S-L-E-D. I'll just say it. You can write it down if you'd like. Look it up later. You could Google it. Um, an excellent way to talk about abortion just from a purely rational perspective. You know, just, just trying to put it out there to somebody. Um, the S stands for size. We don't kill people based on their size. You know, you, you say the fetus is so small. It's so small. And yet we don't discriminate tall versus short people. We don't discriminate as a society against shorter people. Size has no bearing on a person's humanity. L, the L in sled is the level of development. The level of de- development. And in level of development, you basically say um, that, 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 a, that a baby, a fetus, does not have reasoning abilities. You know, it can't think for himself. A lot of people say the mark of a person is the ability to have rational thought. And yet we would argue that an infant, an infant has no rational thoughts either. It, it can't argue moral reasoning. It can't even speak yet. And yet we know that infant must be protected by our laws. Uh, the Ian sled is environment. It's environment. Because the baby is within a woman's body, there's the right to take that life. The environment that it's in. It seems ludicrous to me to think that the seven inches between being in and out make all the difference. Seven inches between being in the woman to being outside the womb. And, and that's all we say there is. It's, it's the environment. And yet... Uh, I believe the, I believe 38 states have laws against taking the life of uh, what I mean is murdering uh, an unborn baby. There's laws against that if someone were to take that life. Uh, environment doesn't matter. And then the D in sled is the degree of dependence. The degree of dependence. And the degree of dependence we would say that uh, that baby is totally dependent on the mother for nourishment while they're in the womb. The mother has to feed that child. It's totally dependent. And yet, once they're outside the womb, they're still completely dependent and yet protected by our laws. They're still nursing. They still can't feed themselves. They still 100% need mom or dad to take care of those needs. The moral reasoning when it comes to abortion, just falls apart. Which is why you will find statements, videos, abortionists that will say, yes, we know we're taking life. We we know we are. But we think it's worth it to preserve those rights. That is friendship with the world. And this is God's problem with it. This is the spiritual problem underneath it. That God is a jealous God. That's what verse 5 says. He's a jealous God. He demands total allegiance. You either use His wisdom or you use earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. He demands everything of us. His truth is our truth. And it's not just the, truth, not just the church's truth, but, but, but His wisdom is good for humanity. His wisdom preserves life. It's good for everybody. It's good for our country. He is a jealous God. 
And He longs that we would follow His ways and promote life. He demands total allegiance. So I'd like to end. If, you, if you've been down this road, and I'm talking to you this morning, and you're like, boy, this is hard to hear, because I've made that decision. This is what I believe the Scripture would say to you this morning. And I'm going to say verse 6 again. He gives more grace. Whatever you've done, you can say to that, He gives more grace. Uh, you know, Whether we're talking about abortion or any other sin that you've done, we can say, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here it is. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Number one, what do I do if, if that's me? You submit yourself to God. What does that look like? Well, it means, uh, uh, verse 8, <clears throat> you draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You cleanse your hands. You purify your hearts. You, you, you feel wretched. You mourn and you weep. You let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. You humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So you don't stay down there in the gloom. You don't stay in the mourning. You don't, it's not for the rest of your life that you're in this low place and you're like, look what I've done. I've taken life and I'm just down here forever. No, He actually lifts you up. He gives you more grace so you can go on and say, I'm forgiven. I'm free of that. I've spoke to women. I'm friends with certain women that have entrusted that information to me and I have personally seen the freedom. And I've stood in front of the church just like this on a Sanctity of Life Sunday. I've had them come up to me and say, Niall, if there's anybody you know that's struggling with that, let them talk to me. So, so maybe if you're one of those people and you need to talk to another woman, I have a few in mind, and you could ask me about it. I, would, I could give you their names. They'd say, let them talk to me. We've got to minister to each other so that we can submit to God. And yes, there's a place for confessing it and saying, I'm so grieved by it. But then you let God lift you up and let Him give you your grace and you keep moving on with that grace of God. If, if we all stayed low like that, I would never get up to preach and you'd never get up for church because we'd all be thinking about our sins of the last week and how they've immobilized us. We move on in the grace of God. And then, and then secondly, it says, resist the devil. This is verse 7, and he will flee from you. Um, you. You resist the devil. You resist his accusations. You resist his shaming of you. Uh, you resist him saying, you know, don't listen to God's ways. Do, do what the world says is right to do. Do what's legal in this country. You know, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You've re- got to resist the thoughts when he tells you you're nothing. You've got to resist the thoughts when he tells you how, you know, what a shameful thing you're going to live with the rest of your life. You resist the devil and embrace the forgiveness of God. I'd like to pray a prayer for you now. Um, and then the worship team's going to come up for one more song after that. And I want to pray for you that maybe have felt the burden of this. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I would ask for those that struggle with this particular thing that say, yeah, that's, that was my decision. I went down that path. I pray for an incredible freedom. I pray for unbelievable grace 
to pour over them. Yes, there'd be a time for mourning and grieving and purifying of hands. And then there'd be a time of humbling themselves and then seeing you exalt them. Seeing you add that grace. Lord, I pray that if they need to speak to somebody, they would come forward. And they would receive good, biblical, spiritual, life-giving counsel. We love you so much because we know all of our sins deserve hell. And yet, you've given us heaven. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.